Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. This morning, we begin with what is one of the most famous parables of Jesus Christ that was ever uttered by him, known as the parable of the sower. Now, it comes first in this chapter, Matthew 13, and it sets the tone for the rest of the parables that are found in here. It is important because it teaches us about how the kingdom is spread and how it advances in this world. It teaches us also that we must be careful, church, how we receive the gospel. And we must be careful how we hear the truth about Jesus Christ and how we respond to the gospel. Now, when you consider this whole chapter as a whole, Matthew 13, this chapter, we need to keep in mind that it is not meant to explain to the lost how to be saved. In other words, if you look contextually through the account uh, that Matthew wrote for us, Matthew 5 through 7, right, the Sermon on the Mount, that's the purpose of that. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole goal or the whole theme, the whole purpose is you need Jesus Christ and here's how you get him. This chapter here is meant to explain the realities of the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom to those who are entering it. In other words, what happens to those who hear the message of the truth? That is the question that Jesus is looking to explain to his disciples in private mostly. But as he speaks in parables to the crowds, he interprets these parables to his disciples in private. What happens to those who hear the message of the kingdom? In this parable, the parable of the sower, Jesus describes different responses to his teaching ministry and why these responses occur, why they exist. The various types of soil or the surfaces that we will look at, they refer to the condition of people's hearts. Condition of those who hear the word of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One commentator, he puts it this way, the parable is a mirror. It shows people where they stand. It is held up to the faces of Jesus's hearers. It was held up to Matthew's readers. And I will add that it should also be held up to our very hearts, faces, so that we may see and understand the nature of our hearts this morning. I want us to read, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 13. We'll read through 9 and then skip to verse 18. As we looked last time at verses 10 through 17, the explanation of why Jesus spoke in parables. So this morning... First parable, 13.1. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, that is the Sea of Galilee. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. 
Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Skip down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the devil or the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and then becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Well, as we look at these verses here, the big idea, the big theme, the proposition here for us to consider is this. Our response to the gospel does not depend on the messenger or the message, but on the condition of our hearts. Our response, how we respond to the gospel, right, has nothing to do with the gospel itself or the person proclaiming the gospel, but everything to do with what kind of soil we are. We will see again and again in this parable that Jesus makes it emphatically clear that it is not the sower nor the seed, but the soil that has the problem. In telling and explaining this parable here, Jesus wants his disciples to be aware. He wants them to know. Even in, he wants them to be prepared to anticipate something going forward as he continues his mission to the cross. What they are experiencing right now, this outright rejection of Jesus Christ, of his word, very few people are following him. What they are experiencing right now is no mere accident. Most hearing Jesus will not follow Jesus. Most who follow Jesus will not remain with Jesus. Only a few will hear. Only a few will understand. Only a few will remain with Christ. The rest, as we will find out in our study through Matthew, they will cry out to these large crowds who are gathered together right now, listening to the parable of Christ. They will, in just few short chapters, cry out, crucify him. Friends, this parable teaches that it is possible to hear without hearing. It is possible to see without seeing. It is even possible to acknowledge Christ without genuine faith in him. And so this morning, as we go through this parable, I, I just challenge you to, to think and to ask yourself, is my heart a fertile soil where the gospel has taken root and bears fruit? Is my heart a fertile soil where the gospel, the word about Jesus Christ, took root and is now bearing fruit? So what happens to the seed that is sown? There are at least four responses here and they all fall into 
one of two categories. Two categories, four responses. Number one, I want us to look here at the compacted heart. Four responses, four hearts. Number one, the compacted heart. It is the heart that hears but does not understand. Verse three, Matthew 13. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And in verse 19, Jesus here gives the explanation of what this means. In verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the devil or the evil one, I keep saying the devil because that's exactly what he means, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one in whom the seed was sown beside the road. So Jesus first here says that as he goes, you see a sower here with a little sack over his shoulder and there are a bunch of seeds there. They didn't have machinery like we do right now that plants each soil in its individual little hole. No, he just goes and he scatters the seed. And as he scatters, some falls beside the road, illustrating that the preaching of the kingdom or the preaching of the word of the kingdom lands on some very hard-packed soil. This compacted path was hardened by the repeated foot traffic, just over and over and over again. At some point, it was good soil. And we see it, like if you're, I don't know if, if you're driving on 80, for instance, heading from Sacramento to, to uh, San Francisco, and you drive through Dixon, for instance, where you see all these fields, right? And all these fields, they are separated by this hard path where these trucks and tractors, they pass along through. And so no one sows any seed there. Why? Because it's pointless. Nothing will grow. And so Jesus looks at this scenario of a sower sowing, and and he says, some seed as he sows, it falls exactly on that soil. And as a result, the seed that falls on the soil, it cannot penetrate the soil. So it just sits there, open, bare, ready for the birds to come up and and take it for food. And notice something in his explanation here in verse 19. The person who hears the word of the kingdom, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that is the seed. The seed is the word. In fact, six times in these verses, Jesus equates the seed with the word. When anyone hears, right, the word, the gospel, He is presently, notice, and actively interacting with the message. He hears. He hears the word. Like you here who are sitting, you are hearing what I am saying. And yet, he does not understand it. He has the ears, right, to hear audible sound. But the condition of his heart prevents him from properly responding to what is being proclaimed. God makes sure here that the seed reaches down to the soul, to the inner man, to the heart. He says the soil is the heart. It's been sown in his heart. But the problem is not with the seed. The problem is not with the man who sows, with the sower. The problem is what the man does with what is sown in him. This here ultimately rejects what he hears because he does not understand it. 
And why can't he understand it? Well, we looked at the explanation that Jesus gives in verses 10 through 17, specifically in verses 14 through 15. Why do you speak to them in parables? His uh, uh, disciples ask Jesus, and Jesus gives them the answer. This here, or the crowds here, the scribes and Pharisees, they make a deliberate choice not to understand what is sown in his heart. Their hearts are dull, Jesus says. They have closed, verse 15, their eyes. Deliberate choice not to see, deliberate choice not to meditate, not to think, not to consider. How does what this preacher says impact me or relates to me? What should I do? Deliberate choice not to hear. When the word of Christ is spoken, it lands on top. It lands on the surface. But because it's so compacted, hard, it just, it cannot penetrate. The word cannot go deep enough where it could grow and where it can produce something. I mean, there is no planting going on here. When you plant something, you dig a hole, you put the seed in, you cover it with soil. You don't just drop the seed right on top of a rock, expecting it to produce something, right? And as it sits there, then the devil comes in, the evil one comes in and snatches. This is, it speaks of this violent predator that just sits around and is, is waiting to pounce to snatch the word that is spoken. If the word doesn't penetrate, doesn't go deep in your heart, then it's just sitting there for the enemy to come in and to swoop so that you do not believe, so that you do not understand. Now consider the context that we're dealing with here in, in Matthew. Who in the gospel of Matthew represents this kind of here? And just moments thought, you, you begin to think of this group, right? The scribes and, and Pharisees. Because at first they very, they're very curious about Christ. They want to know, who is this man? What is this new phenomenon? The arrival of some Messiah? The king is coming? John the Baptist in, in Matthew 3, he comes out and he says, prepare the way for the Lord. And so they're intrigued. They're going out. They're hearing the message. And, and Matthew here, he writes and he says, many Pharisees and Sadducees, they come out to even be baptized. But John calls them out. He says, no, 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 no. You need to bear fruit. Don't just come here through the act. You need to bear fruit. And so they don't re properly respond. They want to go through the motions, but they don't respond. They don't repent. And so their heart is hardened. And then Jesus begins his ministry in chapter four of Matthew and he preaches and he heals and, and they come out and see, whoa, okay, so this is the guy that John spoke about. They see Christ, that he spoke with authority, that he performed these amazing signs and he even forgave sins. It's almost like a sign. Listen, here is a person who is forgiven. Aren't you gonna ask for forgiveness? Aren't you gonna come humbly? Not like a wealthy, right, and a well-off person, healthy person, but like the sick that I just healed, that I forgave sin. Aren't you going to respond this way? But instead of responding this way in repentance, they think evil, Matthew chapter 9, 3, in their hearts. And so there's more hardening. And then again, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus comes out and, and he invites all who hear. 
He drops this, these seeds and he says, friends, come to me. I am your shepherd. Come. Come to me, all who are weary. I'm ready to accept you, whatever you are, whatever you're facing today, whatever your burden or whatever your trial is, come and I will give you rest. Don't hold back. So these seeds of the gospel are being dropped on everybody. But instead of answering this invitation, they go out and Matthew 12, 14 says, they conspire to kill and to destroy Jesus Christ. Destroy him. Their heart is like this densely compacted path. Layer after layer of impenetrable dirt. Nothing grows there. The life-giving message of Christ never takes root. And the evil one, the devil, comes and snatches the word. You know, we read in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, Paul says that the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they don't respond. He doesn't want this word to just sit there. He brings all kinds of distractions to get you away to focus on your own righteousness, to focus on your own doing, to move away from responding so that you would begin to understand, begin to meditate so that this word would produce fruit. That's not what he wants you to do. Friends, devil is very involved when we open up God's word and when we hear, when you hear the preaching of the word. Just like you go to church on Sundays, the devil goes to church on Sunday too. Why? Because... His people are threatened by the gospel. That's why. He doesn't want anybody to begin to understand, to begin to comprehend, to see their need for Jesus Christ. This is a scary response, friends. This right here, this compacted heart is a scary response. Think about these. These people here that are described, they are very versed in Scripture. They can be very educated and well-trained. They sit in the synagogues. They can be sitting here in these chairs. But they are not sensitive. They're not receptive to Jesus Christ. Sunday after Sunday, they hear the message, yet they do not understand. And so, friends, it is appropriate and, in fact, very necessary in light of what Jesus is saying here to reflect upon the kind of soil that you are this morning. When the word of the gospel, when Jesus speaks, and you don't need to hear Jesus audibly because this is his word, and every time you open up God's word, every time preacher comes up to preach, it is Jesus who is speaking, and when he is speaking, how do you respond? How is your heart this morning? So that's the first soil. The seed by the road speaks of all those who hear the message of the kingdom of God, but they reject Jesus as the Messiah and their only means of reconciliation between God and man. They have a compacted heart that hears yet does not understand. No response whatsoever. Number one, the compacted heart. Number two, consider the circumstantial heart, the circumstantial heart. It's the heart that also hears. And notice that this is the characteristic of every single response. Everybody hears. But this heart does not endure. This type of person, this type of hear, hears, but not, does not endure. 
he says, others fell on the rocky soils or the rocky places, verse 5 where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And then verse 20, the one upon whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Think about this in contrast to the first here the here with this compacted heart. The second one, he responds to the word and he responds rather quickly. The seed immediately springs up. That's the operative word here, immediately, immediately, right away, quickly. There's a quick response here. They hear and they respond by receiving the word. They're filled with joy and everything seems normal. When the gospel is preached, someone rejoices and says, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord, praise God. Finally, someone might say, you believe. And yet, Christ doesn't stop there. He adds this word, yet, or but, verse 21, but, there's a catch. There's a catch here. But, he has no root in himself. So, the picture here is, the, the seed falls on this rocky place, rocky soil, and, and it doesn't mean that the soil is full of rocks. There's soil mixed with rocks. That's not what it means. It means that there is this shallow layer of soil, and then right underneath is this bedrock, just this hard clay that nothing grows in. And so the seed falls to this ground, and it begins to germinate very quickly because the soil is warm, it's very loose, but then it doesn't go down, and because it can't go down, it goes up. I don't know if you've planted anything recently when you put just a you know, shallow layer of soil and then there's no room for roots to go down because usually when the plant grows, right, it grows roots and then when the roots are there, it begins to shoot up. But when there's no place for roots, then it, it will go. But because you can't see, there is no invisible work that's being done here in this person, in this here. Everything is visible right away. This, this exuberant joy, he receives it with joy, it says here. He doesn't go down though. There's no depth. In other words, they're just like the first person. They, they lack understanding. They don't mature. They don't grow. They don't know what they're responding to is the point. They just respond. Amen. Whatever you have, give it to me because I need it. They don't understand the message of Christ. This here, he does not evaluate or, or calculate the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, what exactly are you asking me to do, Jesus? That's not what they're asking. That's not what they're sitting and thinking and meditating on. When Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you, they're not asking, what does that mean to take his yoke? What does it mean to confess Christ? And when I confess Christ, what are the results of my confession? Jesus says, when affliction and persecution arrive, because of the word, he falls away. And notice, notice this. He falls away just as quickly as he came into it. 
as he accepted. Immediately he receives it with joy, but when things don't go his way, immediately he falls away. Why? He has no root. In other words, he is not tethered to Christ. He does not understand what he believed in. His entire reception is based on fair circumstances. What is this joy that he's talking about? This joy is not joy in knowing who Jesus is and surrendering and trusting in Christ. This joy has everything to do with circumstances. Why? Because when circumstances change, joy is gone. I need new set of circumstances. That's what you're dealing with. That's what he's asking. When everything is okay, I'll follow Jesus. But as soon as circumstances change, there's nothing to hold you through these troubles, through these afflictions, through persecution, so that you would remain, so that you would stay with Christ. Now, who in the gospel of Matthew here represents this kind of here? Well, remember in Matthew chapter 8, for instance, verse 19, we had this fellow who came up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, or he calls him teacher. Man, what you're saying is really good. Probably the best rabbi I've ever heard. Best rabbi who came through town. Teacher, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm ready to go. And then Jesus turns around and he says, you sure? That's not what he said, but it's my paraphrase. You sure you want to do that? And then he says this, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you know what it means to follow me wherever I go? It's going to get tough. Right? It's not going to be a smooth ride. Things are going to get complicated. As soon as somebody will notice that you're walking with me, their hatred for me will spill over to you. You sure you want to do that? Count the cost, friend. And, and Jesus here, he's been so clear and he's been so forthright here with everybody in this gospel I mean, he's, he's telling the crowds and, and he's telling his disciples about the reality of following him. In Matthew 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, if you would just turn there a few chapters back, Matthew 5, in verses 11 and 12, he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're blessed, absolutely. You are approved by God when you do that. But listen, here's the reality. It's not going to be all health, wealth, and prosperity with me. You're going to get into some trouble. Why? Because of me. The world hates me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Don't think short-term, friends. Think long-term. Think heaven. Think spending eternity, right, with Christ then this becomes insignificant. That's what Paul writes later on in Romans, and he says, listen, this, this temporary, no matter how heavy, he's not discounting any of that. He's not saying, well, pff, forget it, it's, it's nothing. No, he says, it's difficult, it's really heavy. The trials that we go through are hard to bear, but it does not compare with what we have with Jesus in eternity. And when we begin to think on that, then we begin to go through this and endure through this. And he says, you are blessed. 
Later on in giving instructions to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he tells them, listen, your, your parents will turn on you, your fathers, mothers, children, brothers, and sisters will turn on each other. Why? Because of me. Because of me. And in 22, he says, you will be hated by all because of my name. You will be hated by all because like, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat here. He, he didn't want people to, to come to him for mere benefits. Oh, friends, there's so many benefits that we receive when we follow Christ, when we believe in, in him. We, we, we can't even know. We can't even comprehend everything that is offered to us, all the blessings in the heavenly places. There is so much there. But all of these blessings... All of these benefits, they come also with reproaches. They come also with conflicts, persecution. You get the full package and you can't escape it. You get everything thrown in. And when the heat comes, when the sun goes up and it, it begins to beam down on you, those who believe in mere benefits, in good circumstances, in what we today call health, wealth, and prosperity. Because they say when you believe in Jesus, you just get everything. You're gonna enter your best life today. You don't enter your best life today. Your best life is reserved for you in heaven with Jesus. When this person who accepts Jesus on mere benefits, and when the sun goes up and you enter trial, you fade just as quickly as you came into it. You're gone. As soon as you stop getting what you want from Jesus, you fall away. What's the, the catch here? The change in circumstance produces a change in heart in response to Jesus, in your love for Christ. They stumble over it, literally, it says. They fall away, they, they stumble. And friends, it could take years sometimes to find out. It could take months but the Lord makes sure that it does. The Lord makes sure that it does. It's not about this immediate response. I'm reminded of a, of a story I heard about Martin Lloyd-Jones. One day he was preaching and he, was, he preached like this powerful sermon on the gospel and, and this unbeliever after he finished, he comes up to, to Lloyd-Jones and he says, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, I must tell you that if you would have given a altar call at the end of your message, I certainly would have come forward and believed. And Lloyd-Jones told this man, if you don't want Jesus five minutes after the service is over, then I assure you, you didn't truly want him at any point during my sermon. It's not about this immediate response, immediate joy. It happens, friends. But it's not merely about that. If you really want Christ, you will respond. The truest test of faith and discipleship is not whether one receives it with great joy at some moment in time. The true test of faith and discipleship is, is whether you're connected to Christ so as to remain with Christ through all the difficulties to the very end. Because he already said in Matthew 10, 22, that it is the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. Any type of affliction, 
and persecution is just the revealer of how deeply we're rooted in Christ. And friends, we who live in America, one can only imagine how many people today would fall away when real persecution comes. When real test for your allegiance, who do you belong to, friend, right? Is put on notice. But the author of Hebrews, he says that true believers in Hebrews 10.39 are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. They remain True hearers of the word, they remain. So, beloved, here we see that emotional reaction is not necessarily the best way to measure genuine faith. They're not bad. That's not what Jesus teaches here. It's just not enough. That's the reason why why here at this church, at Grace Hill Church, we don't do altar calls. Think about this. Those of you who came from such churches, it's just a way to manipulate emotions. That's all it is. We don't want to do that here to merely make it this emotional act. Many of you walked down the aisle before you were saved. I share this on some occasions too that Before I was saved, I walked down the aisle at least six times in the previous church, and I know for a fact that I wasn't saved then. I had all kinds of reasons to go down that aisle, but none because I treasure Christ and I needed him that moment. None. If you don't want Christ now, then you wouldn't want him 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes after the sermon. If it's genuine, you will want him. You will respond to him. You will continue to believe, remain, hold on to Jesus Christ in the most of difficult circumstances. The question is, will you doubt as a believer? Oh yeah, you will doubt. Will you fall as a believer? Yeah, many of us have. I'll be the first one to confess many times. I mean, think about Matthew. Who is Jesus telling this to? The disciples. He's writing this to the disciples. What happens to the disciples in Matthew 26, 31? Jesus turns to them and says, friends, I tell you, you will all fall away because of me this night. Very same reason. Because of me, why? Because of persecution. Because of a little girl who comes up to Peter and says, you were with Christ. And Peter got scared of a little girl and said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I don't know this man. You will all fall away. This is exactly what happened to them. They fell, but what happened to them? They didn't remain. They were recovered. They kept walking with Christ. They were strengthened in their faith. They continued to understand the truth after the resurrection of Christ. So that in Acts, they, were, they came out and said, no matter what you're going to do to us, we are going to preach the message of Jesus Christ. So are there momentary lapses? Absolutely. But you will not stay there. This, this falling away is not permanent. But these hearers, however, they heard and they did not endure because of this change in circumstances. They were shallow in heart. They were fair, fair weather Christians. The circumstantial heart. 
So we have two hearts so far, the compacted heart that hears but does not understand, the circumstantial heart that also hears but does not endure because things get tough when you proclaim the name of Christ. But yet there's a third type of soil that also fits into the same category, and that is the compromised heart, the compromised heart. And it is the heart that hears also but does not bear fruit. Hears but does not bear fruit. I mean, perhaps here in America, at least to this point here, the the threat of abandoning Christ does not come from severe persecution for Jesus, but actually from the opposite reality that is great prosperity, great opportunities, the American dream that everyone pursues. In verses 7 and, and 22 here, Jesus refers to seed that is sown in the part of the field where the thorns are growing. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And then verse 22, and the one upon whom the seed was sown among the thorns is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It is the compromised soil. Why? Because you have both the word and you have the weeds. And the weeds, all they do, those of you who battle with weeds, all you do is you pull them out. Why? Because they take all the water and they take all the nutrients that the grass and the good plants need to grow. This soil is the compromised soil. The hearer can't devote himself fully to the gospel message. Why? Because there's something else that is vying for his attention. There are the weeds that suck up all the juice. In other words, their heart is not pure, right? What he said in Matthew chapter eight, verse, verse, uh, chapter five, verse eight, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the, those hearts who are completely devoted to one man, to Jesus Christ, that's not what this heart does. What are they divided over? What are the, the, the weeds that choke it up? They're the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. This person does not understand, friends, the value and treasures that are his in Christ. He's filled with all kinds of cares and anxieties which completely choke the word. They leave absolutely no room for the word. They start out slowly, almost insignificantly, maybe invisibly, but then they choke everything out. Jesus already said in in Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 34, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? You need to treasure me, he says. You need to invest in my kingdom. Seek my kingdom first. Don't be anxious about what are you gonna eat or drink or what are you gonna put on? Listen, these things are very necessary. We all have to live in homes and and drive cars and have to work to make a living and, and care for our families. That's what we do every single day. But soon, the trouble is or the danger is that these things, as important as they are in its place, they begin to occupy the place in the hearts that only the Lord should have. Remember in, in 821, Another man came to Jesus and he says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me just first go bury my father, right? I need to get my inheritance. I need to get paid. Or remember the rich young ruler who came and who could not part with riches to follow Christ. Paul says in in 2 Timothy, he laments the fact that one of his coworkers, Demas, 
He deserted him because he loved the present age, the present world. Later on in Matthew 16, Jesus will say, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Loses his own soul. Ken Hughes, he illustrates this point in this parable. He says, this heart here is a divided heart. And he gives this illustration. Like the heart of the girl to which a young man once proposed. He said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have yacht or Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all my heart. She thought for a minute and then replied, I love you with all my heart too, but tell me more about Johnny Brown. And this is what, what this heart does. You know, such a person appears to be true believer at first, but as time goes by, and when the growth is expected, he doesn't bear any fruit. It is sought, but is never found. Why? Because they have never truly began to realize who Jesus Christ is and to treasure him above all. And so again, beloved, we must reflect on the kind of ground we are. We need to ask ourselves, for example, do I, I allow worldly cares to just crowd out my relationship with the Lord? Am I focused too much on worldly things and I have no time to deal with God's word, to meditate, to respond properly, to grow in my faith like we were doing this morning and we're doing right now? So these three soils, they represent one type of hearer, the hearer that does not bear fruit, the hearer that does not understand. And finally, we get to the soil, the good heart forth, that one that hears and bears fruit hears and bears fruit. And unlike the first three hears, this one understands the word. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears and understands. This is the man who has proper response. He proves that he's a genuine believer. He proves that he sees the treasure that Jesus Christ is. He understands the value how do they demonstrate that they understand and that they see the value of Christ? Well, he says he bears fruit here. He bears fruit. They don't bear all the same amount of fruit. Some bear less, some bear more, but they are all abundant. And you know, sometimes we come to this verse and say, man, I want to be that, that brother or that sister that bears hundredfold, you know, because 30 is like, hey, 30, you know, you're just dinky little Christian that's not very productive or fruitful. But consider this. One commentator says that, quote, the average harvest at that time in history in that desert region of the world was probably no more than seven or eight times the amount of seed harvest. Seven or eight times. So in using this language of 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold, Jesus is ending actually on a very positive note. He doesn't want his disciples to be bummed out as like, man, only 25% of the hearers will actually receive this. This is not about math here. It's not about ratio. Like when you preach the gospel to four people, only one will repent. Maybe none will repent. Maybe all will repent. That's not the, what he's after. But he wants them to know that those who hear and those who understand, they will bear fruit and they will bear abundant fruit. Like some will bear a lot, some will bear a lot more, and some will bear a whole lot more. Why? Because Jesus is at work. Because they're rooted to Christ. Because there are 
tethered and are abiding in Jesus Christ because God is causing the growth, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. That's why. Now, what is the fruit that they bear? Well, immediately he doesn't tell us. He just says he bear fruit. But if we look at this um, parable here, context-wise, right, the bearing of fruit is everything that the other soils are not doing. You see? They're not understanding the gospel. They're not believing in Jesus. They are not remaining with Christ when circumstances change. They're not enduring. So when you go through trials and when you endure in your faith, however shaky it is, but you continue to believe, you don't renounce your faith in Christ. You don't say, well, whatever, I'm gonna go to another rabbi. That is the bearing of fruit. You're demonstrating that God is at work, that his spirit is at work. What an amazing reality this is. We can also go to Rome or uh, John 15 where Jesus says that fruit bearing consists of whatever brings glory to the Father. Remain, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. We can go to Galatians where Paul says that the fruit of living in Christ and walking in the spirit is, and he enumerates them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and on through that list. In Romans 1, for instance, in 13 and 15, Paul says that my fruit, I want to be fruitful among you so that when I preach the gospel, I see people come to Christ. That's also fruit bearing. That's what sowers do. Just as Jesus was casting seed, we are to go and cast seed also and expect a return. Jesus is at work through his spirit among us and in our places, in our communities. And so here, the fruit is whatever we do as Christians that, that magnifies Christ, that glorifies the Father, whether that's in serving one another so that we benefit from our service, whether that is growing in Christ's likeness, Galatians chapter five, whatever it is, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 20, you will know them by their fruit. A believer bears fruit, bears fruit of faith and bears fruit of abiding in Christ so that he looks more and more like Christ and he doesn't give up. He remains with Christ when things get tough. This is the good here, church. Why does he bear fruit? Because he's in Christ, because he abides in him. There's this personal relationship with the one that the gospel points to. What kind of heart, friend, do you possess today? And nothing is more important than to find an answer to this question. Are you responding? Are you remaining? Are, do you understand the cost? Do you trust Christ right now? Little faith? Okay. Do you trust Christ or do you abandon him? Our response to the gospel does not depend on the message or the messenger. It depends on the type of soil we are. Listen, when I, when I survey these soils, I, I'm just struck by the hopelessness here of the first three soils. Bad soil cannot change itself. And we're not even told to change the soil or whatever, do, do whatever, become good soil. That's not the goal of this 
sermon. That's not the goal of this parable. He just simply states the fact. Some people are just too compacted. Some are too circumstantial. Some are too compromised. But friends, the good news is that God changes these soils. God changes the compacted heart, the circumstantial hearts, the compromised hearts, and maybe at some point, this is who we were as believers. Because in Ezekiel 36, God says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And when we read this passage, we are not to read this passage in despair. We are not to read this passage and grab our spiritual gloves and shovels and try to change our soil by ourselves. That's not the call. Fool's errands is what this is. Instead, we need to go to the gardener in prayer. We need to ask that we would become the soil through Jesus to meditate on his word to have it deeply impact us, believe in Christ who works for you, who works for me. He does the work. And that we may abide in him through all the painful trials. May God give us grace, friends, to consider this and to properly reflect on this and come to treasure Christ because he is worthy. Father, we thank you for this truth We praise you that you are at work. You're the gardener. You take nasty, bad, tough, compacted, compromised hearts and you give good soil so that we would hear and that we would respond so that we would understand. Help us to be placed constantly in that circumstance, Lord, where we just become assured again and again that Jesus is for us that even in the deepest troubles, deepest heartaches, and even when we're facing severe persecution, that we would understand that Jesus is, is worthy and he will take us through it. Help us to be convinced and help us not to be, Lord, discouraged by the fact that not everyone receives the gospel. You proclaim that it wouldn't happen. But may we continue to go forward and like the sower, spread the seed so that many more would come to understand. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name we ask and pray, amen.